0: Do you want to learn to speak a new language but don't have enough time? Then you need to try Babbel, the language learning app that you can try for free right now at Babbel.com. Babbel's lessons are just 15 minutes or less, and you can go at your own pace. You'll be amazed at how easy Babbel makes it. Start your first lesson in the language of your choice for free. Just download the Babbel app or go to Babbel.com now. That's B-A-B-B-E-L.com.
1: been a while, but of course it's nearly Halloween, which means the return of Ghost Stories, the podcast. We've got a few weeks yet before all our episodes are ready, but to tie you over, we've decided to pull together our top three most listened to 2018. Firstly though, I want to thank you all because you've been following us on the Facebook group, getting involved, dropping lots of reviews on our iTunes page, and of course sending in some fantastically spooky stories. Not just spooky, also some very unusual ones as well. But first and foremost, our first story is one you should all recognize as one of the most listened to of the last year. It's a listener story about how schools can be a terrifying place when they're empty and you're on your own. Especially when you think about the various stories of things you've heard that have gone on there. If you've not heard it before, this should be a real treat. If you have, you'll know exactly the one we're talking about. This is our third most listened to episode 2018, also known as A Little Time in Detention. The school I went to was in a fairly new building, so you wouldn't expect it to be that creepy. But when walking the hallway on your own, whether to the toilet during lesson or after leaving late because of the tension, there was always a sense of unease I had. That feeling you get like someone might be watching you. In short, when nobody else was there, you never, never really quite felt alone. say I wasn't the best behaved student would be a bit of an understatement, Uh, I I really did enjoy school to be honest, I would have loved to use the excuse of being too clever or not really being engaged, but ultimately when it came down to it, I was just a bit of a little shit, I just enjoyed messing around and, and spent a fair bit of my time after school in detention. As I mentioned, the school was quite creepy when alone. I never got used to it either, no matter how often I walked those corridors on my own, especially when I was there after hours walking around when there's no other students about and you'd only see the odd teacher. But there was one time in particular that terrified me to no end. I guess it all started after getting my first mobile phone. It was a very new and exciting thing, especially for kids in the early teens like, like myself at that time. Spending hours, you know, texting, playing Snake. My parents got me a brand new Nokia for my birthday. I can't quite remember which one it might have been, maybe the the 3310. And, and I'll, I'll finish, you couldn't really find me without it. Not anywhere. Of course, the the sheer distraction of all these kids showing up to school with mobile phones, it quickly became an issue for teachers. And before we knew it, there was a school-wide ban on mobile phones being put in place. But me being me, I honestly didn't really care at the time, so I brought my phone to school anyway. If I remember right, the day it all happened, I was in science lesson, or maybe it was English class. To be fair, I'm I'm not that sure, but I guess it doesn't matter for the purpose of this story. Anyway, I was sitting at the back of the class, and I was on what I was pretty sure was a, a personal record on Snake. You know, not quite filling the screen, but it wasn't bad. While I was so focused on my phone that I didn't realize my teacher was standing right over me, and to say the least, she was not happy. Hand over the phone, she sternly said with a raised voice, and made me jump out of my seat, and as I reluctantly handed my phone over, she told me that I could have it back later that day, after detention. I can't recall a great deal of what happened during the rest of that day, up until the start of detention, except for being pretty annoyed I didn't have my phone you know, to text my friends and communicate with the wider world. It would have been about 3.30 in the afternoon that I began to head to the detention room. I'm not sure what the room was used for normally, but it, I didn't have any classes in it. It was at the other end of the school, so I slowly wandered and procrastinated my way there. The hallways were soon empty. Step by step, I could hear the click and clack of my shoes on the polished stone floor. The noise reverbed up the empty corridor, and at times, it felt like it stretched on for an eternity. You know, my, my smug procrastination slowly turned into this feeling of urgency, as the worry that someone was watching me, stalking my every movement, began to cross my mind. The echo of my footsteps grew louder as I began to walk quicker, striding faster, faster, and faster, until my walk became a stuttered jog, similar to that of someone trying to cross the street quite quickly at a light, you know, one of those where they don't quite go into a full sprint. I wasn't the only one creeped out by the school when I was on my own. It was the talk of students, you know, with stories passed on from prefects all the way to juniors of various horrors that bestowed previous students in the school. Of course, no tale could be truly validated by any of us, but if you ask the teacher, they'd tell you to stop with the nonsense and get on with your work. I'm also sure that each story passed off from student to student was exaggerated each time in a bid to impress those they're telling. Even though I fully believed that the stories weren't true, they did tend to, you know, freak me out all the same. And I'd often think about them when walking the hallways of the school on my own, especially those days I was on my way to detention. The story on my mind that day was of a particularly terrible student, probably, you know, not unlike myself, He was notorious for terrorising the teachers, but he especially had it out for the school's caretaker for some reason. He would pull pranks and make a mess and generally make the caretaker's life just a living hell. Well, apparently one day the the chap was on his way to detention. He was slowly walking and trying to pass as much time as he could before arriving. To be fair, not unlike what I was trying to do that very day. As he strolled down the corridor, he could hear the click and the clack of his shoes on the polished stone floor. He stopped, after noticing what sounded like a distinct second set of footsteps reverberating through the corridor. He nervously turned around to see who was there, expecting to see a friend or a teacher. But there was nobody. He thought he was alone, he was sure of it, having served many detentions, rarely did he bump into anyone else in this area of the school, especially at this time of day. He started on again, instantly hearing the sound of a second pair of footsteps echoing through the hall. A walk turns into a jog as nervousness sets in. A jog turns into a run as fear begins to take hold as the lights suddenly go out. Just as he begins to sprint, he's tripped by an object he didn't notice on the floor. He lays there with the pain in his knee from landing on it, and he hears footsteps slowly and steadily approaching. As he looks up through the darkness, he recognizes the approaching figure. But relief quickly turns nervousness as he realizes the caretaker—the very person whose life he made a living hell—as the caretaker stood over the boy, they say he looked down at him with a menacing and sadistic smile. And nervously, the boy began to apologize. I, I I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cause so much trouble. But, but please don't. The caretaker interrupts him, still smiling with a chuckle. <laughs> don't worry. I'm sure you won't be causing trouble anymore. Well, rumor has it the caretaker locked the boy in one of the large storage rooms deep into the school, only found through one of the service corridors, to suffer alone in darkness, in solitary confinement. The worst part is, they said the caretaker didn't simply leave him there to starve and run away. Every few days, he would supply the boy with food and drink, making sure he survived, to prolong the suffering. Like I said, crazy made-up stories, you know, exaggerated each time it's told. My bet the truth lies somewhere. In the boy taking a tumble, the caretaker finding him and sending him home to hospital to sort his injuries, which required him to take a prolonged break from school. Well, that's what I thought happened anyway. So as I strode quickly to detention here in the click and the clack of my shoes on the polished stone floor i have this feeling as though i'm being watched i think about the story of the boy and i become nervous about all the teachers i've put through hell and i begin to move quicker the story surely couldn't be true but it still scared me nonetheless as i arrived at detention there were six other students there that was a particularly busy day compared to others instantly i asked when i would get my phone back i haven't decided yet my teacher replied in a way that almost taunted me, like she was getting kicks out of the situation. Maybe today? Maybe later this week with good behavior? This really pissed me off. You can't do that. Where's my phone? I demanded. Of course she didn't have it there with her. She told me it was safely stored in one of the rooms in the service corridor, so I had no chance to get it back till at least the end of the session. I sucked it up, sat down, and began to make it look like I was writing lines, but in reality, I was likely doodling on the paper, partly out of rebellion, but mostly because I was aware this dissent would annoy my teacher more than anything. After what felt like forever, although it was likely no more than 50 or 20 minutes really, I decided that I had to hatch a plan to get my phone back. Having it was the only way I could reasonably pass the time while sitting there in silence, surrounded by students I didn't even know and weren't even in my ear. Miss, I, I need the toilet, I said bluntly in front of the group, confident she wouldn't ignore. Leave was granted, but I was to be back within 10 minutes and my detention would be extended to the rest of the week. As an adult, this seems ridiculous to say, but I felt like I was playing the riskiest of games. Having detention for the rest of the week would certainly mean my parents disciplining me in some way, like taking away my games console, which would have been ten times worse than losing my phone. So I got on my way with no intention of visiting the toilet. I was heading to the service corridor. By my estimation, I can get there and back in maybe 11 or 12 minutes, but was willing to bet she wasn't actually paying close enough attention to how long I was away. The service corridor. By far the creepiest part of the school. The light seemed duller, the paint seemed more worn, and quite frankly, the word decrepit comes to mind when I think of it. It's the type of place that you'd imagine monsters to come from, and I was so desperate to have my phone back that I was heading into the belly of the beast. When I arrived at the entrance to the service corridor, I halted my jog. I stood there for a moment in silence with nothing to accompany my thoughts but the buzz of the aged lights throughout. I thought about turning around. I wish I turned around. I took a breath, composed myself, and slowly made my way down the corridor. Now, I wasn't 100% sure, but taking an educated guess, I had a good idea where to head to find my phone. The service corridor only had three doors. The first, on the left. It was to an office. In fact, I believe it was the school caretaker's office, so I knew I had to be especially cautious in case he was in there. The second door was on the right. It led to an old storage room, which I'd actually been in once before. It was big enough to be used as a classroom, but when I was there, it was full of boxes, desks, chairs, gym mats. I imagine they throw any old junk in there that has no space anywhere else. Then finally, there was a set of doors. They were used to access the outside of the building, acting as both an emergency access point and a for deliveries and such of large items, such as desks. I imagined food deliveries for the canteen as well. I knew my phone was in the storage room on the right, but I was growing increasingly nervous about going back in there. Slowly, I edged my way down the corridor. I could see the light was off in the caretaker's office. It gave me a slight sense of relief. Slowly, I crept past the office, but gave myself a fright when seeing my reflection in the door's window. The increase in my heart rate didn't help one bit in trying to keep myself calm and composed. Approaching the door of the storage room I stopped as it all began to hit me. The light was off in the room and I was on my own in the service corridor. All the tales shared between students awash in my mind. I could feel myself breaking out in a cold sweat more nervous about what was behind the door than the thought of getting back to detention on time. I took a deep breath and I began to reach my hand out towards the handle of the door. Trembling slightly, as though it was completely possible someone had an eye on me, waiting for me to take a wrong turn so they could punish me indefinitely. I quickly turn the handle. The door opens, slowly with a creak that comes with age and lack of maintenance. The room was dark and windowless. I could just make out the shapes of items around the room. Stacks of boxes, old chairs, desks and piles of books. I knew the only thing that would make me feel more comfortable with the situation was getting that light turned on. So I ran my hand across the wall searching for a switch. But to my dismay, I couldn't find one. My heart sunk in my chest. I wanted nothing more than to just walk away, but something in my mind just just told me to crack on. I couldn't turn back now, so I reminded myself this was just a room full of old junk. Nothing in here could hurt me. I pushed forward into the large room. In between rows of chairs, at the back of the room, I could see a large plastic box. I was sure it was full of items that would have likely been confiscated, so I continued on. My feet slowly shuffling across the concrete floor. My breathing became quicker, almost as though it wouldn't take much to give me a panic attack. I jumped on my skin at the sudden vibrating sound, only to quickly settle as I realized it was the notification of a text on my phone. I was heading in the right direction. As I get to the box, I quietly begin rummaging through its contents, at this point becoming completely unaware of my surroundings. Suddenly, I stopped and turned around at the sound of the creaking door. I was quick enough to see all the light in the room fade away as the door shut, leaving me in complete darkness. Fighting off panic attack, I tried to think of what to do. I had come to the conclusion the caretaker came back, saw the door open and pushed it shut, fuck, fuck, I, I, I decided to slowly try to make my way back to the door, in my mind survival became more important than locating my phone, I'm not sure why, but in this moment I began to talk, trying to reassure myself about the situation perhaps, but all I could think about was the student who was terrorizing the caretaker, I took two steps forward and ah, I smashed my leg into a desk losing my bearings, fuck, why the hell did I come here, I continued to try and navigate this scarred junk. Continued to speak to myself all the while. How, how the hell am I meant to find the door? I can't fucking see anything. It's too goddamn dark in this. R- I paused, feeling as though there was someone behind me. You'll get used to it," said a voice from the dark.
0: Welcome to Tim Hortons. Thanks. I'll have... A pumpkin spice latte? How'd you know? Oh, was it my pumpkin earrings?
1: Yeah, maybe. Or is it my pumpkin hat? That's a great hat. Oh, is it
0: my ringtone? It's pumpkin spice time. Yep, bingo.
1: It's pumpkin spice time now at Tim Hortons. Indulge in a creamy pumpkin spice latte or a sweet and cold pumpkin spice iced cap. Pumpkin spice beverages are back now at Tim Hortons. Limited time only at participating restaurants. Well, after hearing a story like that, it makes me glad that I'm not at school anymore. And if you are, maybe uh, maybe use as a warning that you shouldn't misbehave and uh, annoy your teachers. Anyway, before we move on to our second most listened to episode of 2018, I want to remind you, you can, uh, you can follow us on Facebook by going there and searching for forward slash ghost stories, the podcast. Give us a like and a follow and make sure to tell us about what your favorite episodes are there. Secondly, what really helps the podcast grow is if whatever platform you're listening to on, give us a subscribe so the latest episodes will automatically go to your devices, give us a review, and of course, continue to share. And I'm going to give a special shout out to our Spotify listeners because we are absolutely killing it on that platform. So thank you very much. Now, on to our second story. The second most listened to story of 2018 is one about an unsolved tragedy and a haunted house, and it might just make you think twice before you go partake in any ghost hunts in the future. Our next story, and the second most listened to 2018, is The House Down the Road.
0: The house at the end of my ride had been empty for years, I often passed it on my way to school. It was sad and lonely building, and it slowly became more run down with each passing year. I'd often pause to just stare at the place, looking at its sagging porch and the crumbling chimney. It had two front upstairs windows that looked like a pair of eyes. I wondered why the place couldn't seem to keep an owner. The kids at school always told stories about the house and claimed it was haunted by the spirits of a family who had been murdered there long ago. I never believed them though, after all, Ghosts only existed in made-up stories, even so, the fact that no one could seem to stay at the house very long did often make me wonder. One day I noticed the for sale sign was gone, and I was actually quite excited, maybe someone had finally bought the place, maybe they even had children. But it was not to be, when I returned home I heard my parents talking about the place. Looks like the council finally decided on what they're going to do with the old place, I heard my father say. Apparently they're going to tear it down. It's for the best, I heard my mother say. It's become a real eyesore. Tear it down, I thought. But why? Surely it wasn't that far gone. With a little fixing up, it could still be livable. I heard my dad go on. Yeah, and with its reputation and all, removing it would be the best thing for the town. My mum agreed. Yeah, so when do they plan on tearing it down? By the end of the month, my father replied. At the time, I remember thinking, what did he mean by the house's reputation? I know I'd heard those rumours from kids at school about the family that had been murdered there. So for some reason, I thought I would investigate and just find out for myself. First thing I did when I had the chance was to visit the library to see if I could get any information on the old house. I hoped I'd find something, anything about the place, news articles or even urban legends. To this day, I wish I hadn't. The first piece that I came across was an old news story. I read through the article feeling more disgusted the more I found out. It seemed a family had lived in the house in the 40s. A mother, a father and two girls. What some might call a normal family. However in an unfortunate turn of events everything changed for this family. One night someone had broken into the house and brutally murdered them. A neighbour had been woken up by the screams in the night, they'd called the police, but by the time they'd arrived it was too late. They found the family in the dining room, looking as if they'd sat down to dinner, but there was nothing normal about the scene. The bodies were covered in blood from multiple lacerations and their eyes had been gouged out. The article said the family looked like they'd been propped up after death. What made it even more unsettling? If that's possible was the fact that all four of the victims had their hearts removed with seemingly medical precision. The missing hearts were never found at the scene of the crime. After a thorough investigation the police hadn't found a single clue. All they found was a small charm bracelet lying by the garbage can in the kitchen. It was Silver with the name Sarah. At first the police had thought it belonged to the mother but the woman's sister confirmed she hadn't owned any such jewellery and they didn't even know anyone by the name of Sarah. Although it shouldn't have mattered, the fact that my name is Sarah meant that this creeped me out even more than it should have. I continued my search until I was just too unsettled to investigate any more. I eventually composed myself to return and finish reading. Not much else was in there except for one last thing they had never found the killer a bit more information I gathered involved the fate of the house after the investigation had ended it'd been placed on the market but it could never keep an owner for long families would move out only weeks after moving in some claimed it was due to being unable to keep the payments up but others claimed weird things kept happening one family claimed they heard the sound of hearts beating in the middle of the night a loud sound that would speed up and then slowly begin to stop Others claimed to hear the sounds of children in the house, running through the halls and down the stairs, giggling, whispering and crying. The house hadn't seen any new owners since then, it had been empty for nearly 20 years. In the distance from my room, I could just about make out the chimney of the house, a shadowy rectangle in the late afternoon sunlight. I thought about what I'd read and I began to contemplate it all. So there was some fact to the stories about the house I'd heard at school but they were far worse than I realised. Something made me wonder. Why had it happened? What was the cause? The police had never discovered any motive behind the brutal killings. Could it have really just been random? An idea began to form in my mind. I don't know why I thought of it, and I wish I hadn't. The answer had to be in the house somewhere. It just had to be. Later, after my parents had gone to bed, I slipped out of my room, down the hall, and I tiptoed down the stairs and out of the house. I ran down the street to the old house. In the moonlight, it seemed to have gained a sinister air. When I looked at the windows, they looked like eyes watching me as I walked down the road. I quickly ducked my head and rushed to the front door. It was locked, and the back door proved to be as well. I nearly gave up, but then I realised one of the basement windows was broken. I knelt down and paused a moment concluding that I could just about fit through. I slid inside and landed in the basement. It was pitch black, so I took out the flashlight I'd brought with me and turned it on, panning it around in the darkness. I nearly jumped out of my skin when it stopped on an old dressmaker's dummy. But then I chuckled to myself and tried to shrug off the feeling it had given to me. Monsters aren't real, it's just an old house, I told myself. But my mind kept reminding me about those stories I'd read online. Were they true? It didn't matter. Even though they never caught the killer, it was so long ago, it's not like they'd miraculously show up back tonight. And for the stories, don't be silly, those people were probably just making those things up to get out of paying the rent, I told myself and moved on. Climbed the stairs, the planks creaking under my feet as I ascended. Once I was on the first floor, I slipped into the hallway and made my way through the dirty, cobwebbed room, looking around and hoping my imagination wouldn't get the best of me. I had nothing but the sound of my own footsteps on the hardwood floor. I paused at every doorway, looking into each of them one by one. The living room, the dining room, the kitchen, all were empty. But then something glinted in the moonlight on the kitchen counter by the sink. Curious, I entered the room and walked over to get a better look. I reached out with my free hand and picked the item up, examining it. A bracelet, silver, with five charms dangling from the braided chain, spelling Sarah. Wait, what? How is this thing in the house when... A creaking sound interrupted my thoughts and I froze, listening. There it was again. It sounded like it was coming towards the kitchen. My heart began to race, the sound beginning to pound in my ears. Someone else was in the house. I looked around quickly, hoping to find some kind of hiding place. But there was nothing except the space under the sink I yanked open the doors and squeezed inside pulling the door shut behind me just as the door shut the footsteps stopped I held my breath praying with all my might that whoever it was would go away but I heard nothing and waited until what was that it sounded like fingernails I suddenly realised the sound was right beside me someone was in there with me I closed my eyes hoping whoever it was wouldn't come near me by the sound I knew it couldn't be a mouse or even a rat heaven knows what else it was the sound continued a bit longer and then went quiet I sighed in relief and I opened my eyes I was just beginning to relax when I suddenly felt the cabinet doors begin to swing forward I gasped and grabbed them trying to pull them closed again they fought against me as I struggled to keep them shut. I was pulled forward, then, as the doors were violently yanked open, I found myself staring up into a face. It was pale in the moonlight, thin and heart-shaped. Long, dirty, stringy, greying blonde hair hung down from its scalp, but that wasn't the most disturbing thing. It was the eyes. Or should I say lack of eyes? There were black voids where the eyes should have been. The eyeless face smiled at me with yellow teeth and thin lips. I stared in horror for I don't know how long before the spell was broken by that clicking sound again. It was loud and getting louder coming from inside the cabinet where I was hiding. I suddenly felt something grab my ankle and turn my head away from that awful face only to find myself staring into another one, smaller, but a mirror of the one in front of me. It was the size of a child, pale and eyeless like the other thing. It smiled at me and began to giggle and my blood ran cold. It was pulling me back into the cabinet. I panicked, struggling against it and kicking at its pale, bony hands until it let me go. I scrambled to my feet only to run back into the larger creature who reached out at me with long, bony hands. I wasn't thinking. I reached out and just shoved at the thing with all of my might. I fell right through it, slamming into the hard wall behind the doorway. I slumped there for a moment, dazed and confused. Then I rushed towards the doorway. I had to get out of there. As I ran, I became aware of a heartbeat pulsating in my head. The walls, the floor, and the ceiling rocketed and vibrated with a heartbeat. It was as if the entire house was alive. I gritted my teeth and kept running, trying to ignore it, trying not to trip on the floor, which was pulsating under my feet. I reached the door to the basement and dashed down the stairs. The sound of my feet pounding down the stairs was drowned out by the horrible beating of a heart echoing through the house even through my body. I rushed to the window, I climbed out and ran home. I never looked back. A month later the house was still there. Its windows stared blankly into space like a face without eyes. The workmen who had been hired to tear it down had not done so. I'm sure I'd seen them go into the house and leave not too long afterwards, driving quickly down the street as if they were being chased by something. Nobody ever returned to finish the job, and I guess the council figured it was a waste of money to bother. I'd also been avoiding the house since my foolish adventure, and I'd only just worked up the courage two weeks after the incident with the workman. I now stood outside the house, my feet planted firmly on the sidewalk as I stared at its empty windows in silence. The place didn't seem so sinister during the day, just sad like always. If those walls could speak, it could tell me everything that had happened there why the brutal murders had happened so long ago and who was responsible. I'd come to the conclusion that the things I'd seen in there weren't actually monsters, they were the spirits of the family that had been murdered. Maybe they hadn't been trying to hurt me when I'd gone in there. I started to head home when I stopped noticing a glint of something on the grass. I walked over to it and picked the item up. It was a charm bracelet, silver and tarnished with age, five little letters dangled from it spelling Sarah cold chill suddenly went through my body and I slowly turned back towards the house. In the right-hand side window on the second floor I saw four figures looking down at me. They had no eyes. from Dad.
1: All right. Save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's what man. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah. Where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff.
0: Progressive can't save you from becoming your
1: parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive casualty insurance company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Well, that certainly makes me want to avoid snooping in a potentially haunted or unusual places where I don't belong. Before we go on to our top story of 2018, I just want to remind you to go to Facebook and give us a like and a follow, finding our page by simply searching for Ghost Stories the Podcast. Also, don't forget to subscribe wherever you're listening. Give us a review and of course share us with all your friends because it. It really helps the podcast grow, and the bigger we get, the more episodes we can bring you. So, our most popular episode of 2018 is one I was thinking about a lot recently whilst I was doing some handiwork in the house. It's about a couple who, upon buying their first home, take a trip up to the loft and discover something that they really wish they hadn't. So, for the most popular episode of 2018, I bring you Something in the Loft. I've never really believed in ghosts or apparitions. In fact, I've always classed myself as a skeptic of the unexplained. I think I got this from my dad. If I remember correctly, his favorite quote is something along the lines of, don't believe anything you hear and only half of what you see. So yeah, I guess I'd say I was raised to view the unexplained with a strong level of skepticism and logical explanation. Of course, small experiences have the potential to change your outlook, while major ones can turn your belief system completely upside down. I think it'd be fair to say that's what happened to me. My wife and I purchased a house in a quaint little village. The place wasn't that old in the grand scheme of things, maybe 10-15 years. We are first time buyers and couldn't wait to sink our teeth into all the little projects you can't do in a rental property. Now I'll admit, when we first moved in there, there was an unusual energy around the house. I'd sit, describe it as a deafening silence that allowed us to hear every creak throughout the place. It's an unusual thing when you're standing into bed at night and you could swear you hear the distinct sound of steps in your hallway. Of course, it's, it's nothing more than the house settling. These are the things you never notice when you live in a block of flats. There was always the noises of someone coming or going all hours of the day. Now, I may have been a skeptic, but my wife, on the other hand, she fully believes in anything of a paranormal persuasion. From night one, when the house made any noises, she'd squeeze my arm. What was that? She would nervously ask. I would always reassure her, but she was convinced it was more than the house settling. After all, according to her, the house is too new to be making noises like it did. Nothing more than the odd creak or bump happened for the first few months. Nothing too unsettling and my wife seemed to be used to the noises by now. When our boiler stopped working one day, I had to go up to the loft to see if I could get it going again. It may seem unusual, but in the first few months of the only place we'd never been into the loft. I never really had a reason to go up there. The entrance was a small hole covered by a wooden panel in the spare room. Standing on a step ladder, I moved the panel and pulled myself into the loft. There wasn't a light in there, so I called my wife to grab me a flashlight. She passed it up and I panned the light around the room, looking for the boiler. As the spotlight moved around the room, all I could see was a mix of wooden beams, insulation and cobwebs. I was actually quite startled when I noticed something completely out of place though. Carefully, I made my way to the other end of the loft, moving slowly to pay attention to my footing all the while, trying not to take my eyes off where I noticed across the room. As I approached, I realised it looked like a weird religious shrine. The only way I could describe it is unusual symbols made of wood. Something similar to what you'd see in the, the film The Blair Witch Project. There was also five or six old used candles, now covered in dust. Clearly, the shrine hadn't been visited in some while. I gave my wife a shout to get on the ladder and pop her head into the loft. She wasn't at all happy, she mentioned worries about some paranormal stuff and and told me to get rid of it. I wasn't the least bit concerned though. I just assumed it was put there by some teenagers who used to live there and forgot about it. Probably a passing fad for them. I will admit it, though, the shrine was interesting. Even though I am a skeptic, I like to read about folklore and symbolism. So I put the items on my office desk so I can google their meaning later. Then I went off to work for the day. All day I could think about was that unusual shrine. What could it mean? Was it religious? Was there satanic connotations? Maybe it meant nothing at all. The questions consumed me, so when I arrived home, I went straight to my office, intent on settling in for a night of research. However, when I got there, the items were nowhere to be seen. I must admit, initially this did creep me out. How the hell could some unusual symbol and old candles up and make their way out of my office? In a more rational moment, I gave my wife a shout. Have you seen the bits I left on the desk? You mean the ones I specifically asked you to get rid of, she replied. I threw them out. I told you I wasn't comfortable with them being in the house. This is mildly annoying, but I thought I could fish one out of the bin so I could research it. I told him my plan. You can't. I don't want those in the house. And even if I did, I destroyed them before throwing them in the bin. I was shocked. My wife was enough of a believer not to want them in the house, but so much so that she was comfortable to destroy them in the process. I was gonna ask why, but I didn't feel like sitting through an explanation on the process of cleansing negative spirit from shaped pieces of wood by destroying them or some other nonsense. So I thought best that'd be the end of it. It would have been great if it was. I had to be up early that Saturday to pop into the office for a few hours. This typically happened once a month, and of course my wife loved the opportunity to stretch out on our bed and have a lay-in all by herself. As she tells it, she heard a slam of the front door as I ran out to try and make it in on time. Still in bed, she lay there, not really asleep, but not really awake either. She had enough about here to notice the front door unlock and gently open. But assuming I'd simply forgotten something, she didn't think twice about it. However, it struck her as odd that after a few minutes she never heard the door shut again. So she called out, Hey, you back? Everything okay? No reply. Obviously, this is unusual because if I heard her, I would have called out to let her know everything was okay. She thought to herself for a moment, I must be hearing things. And she rolled over to go back to sleep. At the moment her head touched the pillow, she heard footsteps slowly creep up the stairs. With her mind racing, she prepared herself for the worst. What if someone had broken into the house shortly after I left? She hopped out of bed to be quiet as possible and grabbed the hardest item she could find in the room. Prepared for a fight, she stood next to the door, ready to clobber anyone who decided to take their chances and enter. Footsteps drew closer until it sounded like someone was at the door. She tried to calm her breathing, wanting to stay as quiet as possible so not to alert them to someone being in the house. Staring down at the door handle, she could see it slowly begin to turn. It felt like an eternity watching the handle edge closer and closer to the point of the door opening. She took a deep breath, summoned her courage, and grabbed the handle, swinging the door open to catch off guard whoever's on the other side. There was nobody there. I left work early and my wife called me in tears, telling me what happened. I didn't quite believe that there was some kind of paranormal entity, like she said. You know, I thought it was nothing more than that, her hearing the house settling and imagining things. Maybe even one of those dreams that are so real you recall it as if it actually happened. When I got back, I found she had locked herself in the bathroom and wouldn't come out until I checked every room in the house. There was nothing to indicate a person had been there, and of course the door was locked when I got home, so there couldn't have been a break in. My wife was extremely startled by the incident, and for the next few days she refused to be left for the house on her own. She wasn't just convinced that someone was there that day, she said she felt like someone was still there with us, somehow hiding away. No level explanation on my part could change her feelings on the matter, and even though I felt nothing of the sort, I'll admit her persistence and insistence about it did begin to creep me out. A few days after her first experience, I was sound asleep until I was awoken abruptly by a jab in my ribs. I looked at the clock and could distinctly remember it being 3.43am. As I gathered the energy to roll over, my wife whispered, Don't move, he's in the room with us. Even though she was whispering, I could tell she'd been quietly crying to herself. What do you mean she's in the room with us? I said. Look over there, she said, trying to discreetly motion to the furthest corner of our room. I cautiously turned my gaze to that area of the room. I couldn't see a thing, no shadows, silhouettes, or outlines. There's no one there, I'm going back to sleep, I replied. She began to sob a bit louder, so I stood up, walked to the light switch, and as I reached out to turn the light on, she let out a scream. The light was on and the room was empty. See, no one, I said as I tried to comfort her. She was crying so uncontrollably that I could barely make it out. I didn't understand it, but clearly something had her very upset. That wasn't the last time it happened either. On three more occasions, she would wake me up, I couldn't see anyone, would turn on the light, and whatever she saw would disappear. I am ashamed to say that I thought she was imagining it. Maybe stress at work or something, I don't know. She described the unknown figure as a simple silhouette of a medium built man, with no distinct facial features, except what looked like eyes with a silver glow. Although I tried to be supportive, I didn't for one minute believe it. But for a couple of weeks, every noise in the house had startled her. She was constantly on the edge and would never stay there on her own. Remember when I mentioned that a small experience can change your outlook? The morning after the latest event, I noticed a small pile of stones at the bottom of the stairs. This didn't look like random gravel dragged in with the bottom of your shoes. This had been deliberately placed. I couldn't make sense of it initially, I just stood there trying to work out what it all meant. Suddenly, taking stock of what had happened recently to my wife, I was struck by a sliver of belief. As she turned the corner and saw the stone, she instantly kicked off. Do you seriously think this is funny? What the hell is your problem? I was genuinely confused about the issue. You know how I felt about the shrine, why the hell would you make those shapes down here freak me out? This stopped me in my tracks, I was completely caught off guard and massively freaked out myself. Rather than argue, I apologize and clean the stones up right away, trying to put it out of my mind. The first and only time I directly experienced anything. We had a work party, so we we're about fairly late in the evening, so when home we went straight to bed. I imagine my wife drifted straight off, but I was laying there contemplating our weekend ahead in the night we just had. Suddenly, I heard my wife starting to cough quite violently, so I opened my eyes and rolled over to check her. You wouldn't believe the shock I had to see a figure leaning over my wife face to face while she was asleep. There were no distinguishing features I could make out in the darkness, but there was a strong smell of smoke. It was a distinct smell, not like a cigarette or a cigar, but rather an old-fashioned pipe. I quickly lunged forward to grab whoever it was and finish this once and for all, but no sooner did I reach out, the silhouette dissolved into what seemed like a puff of smoke. I starved my wife awake as I landed on top of her. I didn't want to upset her, so I made up some phony excuse for what I was doing, and she went back to sleep. The next day I got straight to researching the symbols of the shrine and the stone formations that I was sure it was related to what happened. Now I don't know who lived there before me and I don't know what type of stuff they were into, but apparently the symbols in the shrine were those typically used in a curse, placed on anyone who disturbs or destroys it, to experience many restless nights at the hands of a restless spirit. Now I'd still class myself as a skeptic, but my wife, she hasn't had a salt night's sleep in years. Well, that's it for our best of 2018. I hope you've all enjoyed it. And if you're new to the podcast, I hope it's been a really great introduction. Make sure to go to our Facebook page and let us know if your favorite episode didn't appear. And, uh, you know, if you didn't, you can always go back and listen to it anyways. We'll be back around Halloween. But until then, remember, continue to subscribe, review, and share the podcast. Without you, we couldn't grow to the size we are. And it's continuing to get bigger every day. Also, make sure to continue to send your stories. We have four listener stories at the moment we're working on, and they're all going to appear in the new season of the podcast, either as full episodes or short scares. Thank you all for tuning in, and we'll see you soon. But until then, don't stop asking, do you believe in ghosts? The
0: housing industry is changing. A lot. Quickly. That's why we
1: made the Freddie Mac Multifamily Podcast.
0: We're bringing together industry leaders to talk about market trends and the financing behind them. Subscribe and download wherever you get your podcasts.